You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hello and welcome to another edition of the show where we take a wander around the week in Apple, Apple News, Reviews, Technology, Associated Products and all sorts of other things that catch our eye. This is another episode of the Essential Apple Podcast. Hello, Guy. I'm joined by Guy from the MyMac podcast this week. Um, you lucky devils. Oh, yes, indeed. Mark uh, Mark might make an appearance if he gets back from cycling. Uh, Donnie might make an appearance if he gets back from uh, seeing the doctor about a suspected red eye. Um, there we go. But if not, you've got me and Guy to uh, create mayhem. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking mayhem is pretty much guaranteed. I should think so. I think uh, it might well be a case of... <laughs> but as long as it doesn't turn into... We'll be all right. You have failed me for the last time. <laughs> so, uh... Guy, um, yeah, it's been a bit of a week, really, hasn't it? Um, all sorts of things yes, going yes, on. It has. it has been a bit of a week. Um, I've had trouble with iCloud. Uh, Facebook and Google got into trouble with Apple. Apple got into trouble with FaceTime. Um, criminals have been tapping the phone system backbone to attack banks. Governments are continuing to try to spy on everybody. And, uh, well, Facebook got in even more trouble yet again. So yeah. there we are. Yeah. Uh, well, everything is normal. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and uh, of course, um, you know, the the INF treaty going away. So that's got to give everybody the warm and fuzzies. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's that's just cheered us up no end, doesn't it? Especially those, yeah. of us, those of us of an age who spent our teen years worrying that we were going to be blown to atoms any second. Um, smithereens. Yes, by, you know. Uh, intermediary nuclear missiles. Uh, there we go. Yeah. Oh, is that is that a problem? Mm, no. <laughs> no. Okay. Excellent. No, there we go. Um. Well, we we've had all sorts of things. Uh, where should we start? Where shall we start? Well, why don't you talk about your iCloud issue? Yes. Why don't I tell everybody about my iCloud issue? This is a bit. Um. This is a bit weird. This one. Um. I I've always been quite happy with our iCloud. I've never really had a lot of issues with it. Um. I know some people complain that, you know, the syncing isn't right or they have various issues with it. I, I've never really had any issues. But about four days ago, um, all of a sudden, I, 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 I came to my laptop, um, opened my laptop, and I got a, a, you know, you need to sign into iCloud uh, kind of message. So I thought, well, it's a bit odd. I, I can't think of any particular reason why that would happen. But, you know, strange things happen. So... I'll just enter my password and everything will be fine. Or so I thought. Um, <laughs> it said, no, that's not your password. 
And I thought, well, it was my password yesterday and it was my password this morning. And in fact, it was my password five minutes ago and it's in the keychain. So, uh, you know, what the hell's up with you? So I thought, okay, well, I'll, I'll go to uh, appleid.apple.com, which is where you manage your iCloud account. And uh, that said, no, that's not your password. And I <laughs> typed it again and it said, no, that's not your password. So I went to the keychain. That one wasn't either, even though it's the exact same yeah, one. Yeah, and then I, I went to the keychain and I, you know, I did it manually and I did it from the keychain. Of course, after about four tries, it says, your account has been locked for your security, which... um. Whilst somewhat annoying, is of course in also reassuring in that if somebody's trying to brute force your account after about four attempts, the account will be locked. Yeah, it'll stop. So well, um, a lot of that goes back. A lot of that goes back to the you know, so-called hack yes. of all those celebrities' pictures, which wasn't really a hack. It was just they kept trying the password over and over again. Yeah, and most of them. Also or they had really, really stupid, stupid passwords. Password. Yes, exactly. Um, so then you get the thing that says, uh, you are having trouble logging in. You need to uh, verify and change your password. So you go to the thing and it says, okay, give us your phone number, give us your iCloud identity. And then it sends a message to your phone. Um, and then you, it, it says, okay, now you can create a new password. And then you get an email saying your password has been changed. Um, so you go through that and you think, okay, that's fine. And then this is where I got into trouble. I use I use Thunderbird as my mail client. Thunderbird. You see, there was the first problem. Now, 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 now. I like Thunderbird. <laughs> I've been using it since version two, and I don't know what version it's on now. Sixty something. Um, but Thunderbird doesn't understand two-factor authentication on the Apple um, mail server. So you have to have what they call an app-specific password, which you get by going to appleid.apple.com and creating. So, having got myself back into my account, I went to appleid.apple.com and it told me my newly generated password was not correct. And <laughs> after one try, right, because you've only just done it, one try, your account has been locked for your security. Rinse and repeat about eight times. Ugh. By the way, you have to come up with these bloody iCloud passwords and they have to be at least eight characters long and have at least one capital and at least one lowercase letter and at least one number, which is okay when you do it once, but when you do it eight times on the trot, and by the way, can't be any of the ones you used in the last 365 days, it gets quite wearing. Anyway, <laughs> I, I didn't really know how, but eventually it finally let me in. Uh, I, I didn't really figure out what difference there was. But um, I generated the app-specific passwords I needed, and all was good. So I put that down to just being one of those things, some sort of, you know, technical hiccup somewhere along the way. Uh, and I went about my I went about my business for a couple of days. Um, and then on Friday evening, uh, I was on my laptop, and uh, I suddenly got a message from Thunderbird saying, "Cannot access." Uh, mail.icloud.com because your password has been rejected this being the app specific password um so i thought well I'm... try again no no that's no good okay something's gone wrong i will have to go to apple id and uh you know create a new app specific password password so at this point right everything is working fine allegedly i go to apple id and Enter my password, which, you know, I'd managed to finally verify two days before. And right. no, this is not your password. 
uh, yeah, and I'm locked out again, and the whole dance uh, starts over. So I thought, right, I'm I'm going to ring Apple support. I'm going to contact Apple support. Uh, not so much along the lines of I think there's a huge amount they can do to help me, but more to kind of uh, say to them, look, there's an issue here. Something is going uh, somewhat wrong, and you might need to know or investigate it. So I got onto the uh, Apple support website, and then it says, uh, would you like to schedule a phone call with uh, Apple support? Yes, I would. Simply log into your Apple ID. <laughs> oh, is that all you have to do? So that we can get your details and ring you back. <sighs> so I thought, this is not going to go well, is it? But I entered the password that I had generated a little while before, and it let me in. So I wasn't quite sure what the difference was there, as per news, and I got onto Apple support. And uh, this is where I have to give a big shout out to Monica, who uh, I spoke to for about 45 minutes while we thrashed uh, through the issue. Um, I was, of course, at this point in um, and in my account. And so we talked through the whole issue and she made copious notes uh, and wanted to understand, you know, how it had happened and what had happened. And she said that a couple of days before there had been an issue with the iCloud servers, which might have precipitated the issue in the first place, but uh, there was no reason for it to happened again on a, on a Friday night. Um, so we worked for about 45 minutes going through the whole issue. Uh, I then said, okay, I'm going to go onto Apple ID now while you're on the phone and create that specific pass password. And it let me in and it let me do it. So that was all fine. So I was all back up and running. But then we, um, she said, okay, so at this point, technically, you know, you have solved okay. You, ha you are okay, and you have solved the issue on your own, because I haven't really done anything to help you. But we have made a great long list of things, you know, related to this, which I'm going to pass on to a higher up, because you're right, this needs to be flagged. Um, so uh, I said, I wished her very well, and I said, thank you, and I'll give you a shout out on my show. And uh, <laughs> Oh, did you pull the podcast card? Yeah. Well, no, only do you the last one. I understand that I no, do an no. Apple podcast. No, no, I only, I only told her that at the end because she was very, oh, okay. very warm and helpful, and we were, you know, <laughs> laughing about how long we'd been Apple users and and all the rest. So, um, at the end, I said thank you very much, and uh, I do do a small uh, Apple podcast, so I'll give you a shout out. And um, she said, okay, uh, there's a higher up who uh, will get in contact with you. Um, because he wants to, you know, go over the specifics of it again for his own, um, to check that he's clear. So I said, okay. So I put the phone went off and I assumed that was that. And then about two minutes later, the phone rang and it was this guy, Terry, who was a senior, um, some sort of developer, I think. Um, and he went through the whole scenario again with me and clarified some points like, you know, uh, exactly what Mac am I using? What serial number? Um, exactly what uh, OS am I using? Yes, it's the beta. What build number? Were you on the same build number when the problem started? You know, no. When did you install the the new beta? When did the when did the issue occur after that? All that sort of thing. So mm -hmm. he took a whole load of notes and he said, "I am going to red flag this and put it up so that everybody in support is aware. If if people ring up with this problem, we are aware of it. We know that there's a problem. Um, we can see if we can track down where the issue is. So there you go. So big props to Terry and uh, hi to Monica on that one. Um, I've heard no more, 
at the moment, my Mac seems to be behaving itself. Uh, well, well, you know, it's weird. I wonder if if you had waited like a half hour. Well, this if it would have sorted itself out. This we have determined because uh, in the Slack room, uh, Alistair said that he'd come across this issue, and the solution appears to be ignore, like reset your password and uh, get back into your iCloud, but do not go to Apple ID immediately. Wait. Let everything settle a bit. If you wait half an hour or an hour before you go there to try and generate your app-specific passwords, then it should work. So the problem seems to be that Apple ID is sending you a password reset but not telling the you, other servers about but they, it. But then not telling itself that that is your new password. <laughs> so you can't get back in. Now, I mean, you know, I don't know this from Apple, but this would appear because, as I said, I didn't know why um, certain times it would work. And looking back at it, I think the reason that it worked the first time when I, you know, I'd gone around six times and it kept saying no, was that my wife had come in and said to me, are you all right? What's the matter? And I'd explained the issue and she said, right, I'll go away and leave you alone. Now, I think that short wait between having created a new password and then a short conversation with her and then going to Apple ID was enough to let it catch up. <laughs> and I think... Well, because, you know, they, they, it, it's not like, it's not like, you know, they, they have physical people that have to move text messages from from one site to another. So basically while you were talking to your wife, some guy got on a scooter and <laughs> you know zipped across London to uh to, to hand the guy at the other side, oh this is Simon's new password. And they said, huzzah, and everything was solved. <laughs> yeah. Well if they if they were doing it that way, they'd have had a lot of blakes chasing each other down the street because, you know, when I was resetting <laughs> well, you it You know what traffic in London is like, don't you? <laughs> yes. So there we go. Um, and I think when I uh, got back on, when I needed to uh, contact Apple support was the same thing that I'd very, I'd set up my password and then I'd gone to the website to, um, you know, do schedule, schedule, an, appointment. schedule an appointment yeah. and all the rest. And then I had to go into Apple ID to verify and it let me in. So there we go. Uh, so it was that little guy in the scooter. Yeah. He was he was faster than the other scooter boys. Yeah, definitely. But um, you know, I, as far as a support call goes, you know, they didn't actually do anything to help me. But they were very attentive, uh, very keen to get to the root of the problem, or at least get to the root of a problem that they could tell everybody to look out for. Um, you know, Simon. Honestly, I think that w when you look at at how different companies handle their support calls. Um, I know here in the States, every time I have tried to call an insurance company over something, you get someone whose basic job it is, is to not say no, but to also not say yes. Yes. So <laughs> yeah. They keep you on as long as possible until you finally just throw your hands up in the air and hang up. And then that's a successful support call. But when it comes, when it comes to tech, the, the people that work support for tech mostly, and especially for Apple, because that's, that's the ones that I've mostly dealt with, they really, really do seem to go out of their way to talk people through issues, to talk people through problems, and in my experience, have never, ever, ever lost their temper or been condescending. Yeah, and when you're talking about me and certain 
technical issues, there can be times when it's like, well, the, the doohingy doesn't fit into the who's it's. And they're like, okay, let's first find out what a doohingy and a who's it's is. You know, and then they'll walk through the entire process and they're really, really good at it. So, you know, props to Apple and, and other companies that, that have similar type uh, uh, tech support. Yeah. Well, uh, there you go. So that was my uh, experience. of I've, I've never had a problem with Apple support. Whenever I've, I've spoken to them, but I've always found them to be uh, very helpful. Um, yes. You know, whether they can actually fix the issue or not is a different well, it's, matter. It's but, immaterial. It's, but I the, mean, sometimes you need a, a, a physical presence to fix an issue. And talking to someone on the phone isn't going to change that. That is true. But on the other hand, I have... Um, also, in the past, I've had issues where, you know, the support uh, tech has said to me, oh, will you let me uh, into your machine so I can, you know, see if I can find out what's going on? Um, and they will, you know, remote into your Mac and uh, check yeah, out what's yeah. going on. You know, so there we go. So that was that. Now, uh, before the show, when I told you about this uh, palaver, yes, you, uh, you said you had a disaster of your own. Oh yeah, yeah. I was getting ready to record the um, Mac to the Future live cast that I do on Wednesday nights at eight PM Eastern Standard Time, right over there on Facebook. Thank you. And I was hearing as I was setting up, you know, I was checking my levels and doing audio things without going into great detail, and I could hear this hum. And I've got like, and this, this is, I literally have a gazillion different hard drives attached to this computer. And it's like, okay, well, step one, unmount all those hard drives. So I did, but they were all still running. And I think it was like a ground loop or something like that. I was hearing this weird hum. So I was like, okay, I need to actually turn all these, these drives off. So in the process of turning all the drives off, I have, I have this Drobo and it's kind of in the back of this, this cabinet that I have stuck onto the wall. And as I was turning it off, I kind of leaned on it a little too much. And the and that cabinet shelf fell onto the lower cabinet. It was like, oh, son of a biscuit. And so I, I, I took everything off that shelf and I got it resituated. And I was putting those drives back. And I was trying to fit the, the power connector onto the back of the Drobo when I did it again. When I put a little too much weight on that shelf, except this time, not only did it fall it took out the bottom shelf underneath it. So now I've got this, this mass of, of hard drives and power cables and ethernet hubs all in this big jumble on my desk that once we're done recording, I've got to do something about because this is just not good. So it's a huge, it's a huge honking mess. And it's, and of course, you know, like most things that happen to me, it's my, of my own making. And uh, so I just had to deal with that. And uh, oh dear, hard drives don't tend to like being dropped. No, well, fortunately, they were all off at the time. Well, that's, that's... so whether or not they're going to repower <laughs> <laughs> is a is somewhat of a question. But I haven't. I've had them all like powered down and pretty much disconnected since Wednesday, and today being the the first day that I've had my my son available to help me take this cabinet off of the track that it's on. Cause I've got, the first thing I have to do is fix that. Once that's fixed, then I have to come back and hook everything up again. So, you know, fun, fun times. Oh, lovely. <laughs> oh dear. Oh dear. Well, let me see what uh, Apple, uh, well, Apple reported uh, their 84.3 billion revenue for Q1. Yes. Oh, guy. Yes. Um, well, 
not a lot to say about that, really, is there? I mean, everybody freaked out when they, you know, downward uh, revised their estimates. Yeah, but, it, was, uh... <laughs> it was basically they went from 88 to 84 in yeah. their, you know, 88 was what they had projected at the end of uh, fiscal year 2018. This is the first, for people who don't understand what I just said, this, the end of December was the end of the first fiscal quarter of 2019, even though it's the calendar end of 2018, blah, blah, blah. That's how stupid finance works. And every single time a company does a, what, what do they call it? Um, uh, basically, where they're, they're talking about, you know, how well they did in the last quarter. Yeah, well, when they put they, their projections. They project forward. They project forward, and Apple had projected an $88 billion in revenue, not profit, revenue. Well, then comes along um, a recession in China, and then there was sanctions and and all kinds of other silly stuff going on. And people in China basically said, you know what? We can't afford $1,000 phones. And uh, the number of phones that Apple sold went way down. Fortunately for Apple, services took up part of that slack because it was actually like 7 to $8 billion drop in revenue for phones. But services was way up. And the other thing to remember about this is even though they didn't make their projected revenue, this was still the second biggest fiscal quarter ever in the history of the company. Exactly. So there we go. Um, also, uh, from what I understand, uh, pretty much everywhere apart from the uh, China region was, you know, level or up. So, yeah, you know, it, it, it seems very much... Uh, Uncle Tim also pointed at the battery replacement program, saying that um, that encouraged a lot of people to simply replace the battery in their older uh, iPhone and to keep it for another year or so. Yeah, well, honestly, that's not a bad thing. You know, if you can, and you know, they they drop the price from I think in the United States from eighty dollars to thirty dollars essentially, and that made it much more affordable for people to keep their sixes and successes. You know, just go ahead and change the battery and keep it for another year. And honestly, with with as much garbage as there is in the world, the fact that people are getting three to five years of good use out of an iPhone as compared to the two to three years of a typical Android phone, that's a good thing. That That's not a bad thing. It's not necessarily great for Apple, but in, instead of slamming them because they haven't sold a gazillion more iPhones to people that didn't really need them, you know, let's let's give them credit for making sure that phones that are four to five years old can still run the latest operating system. Yeah, definitely. And the other the other point about that was um, several people kind of pointed at the the price drop uh, of it being brought down to twenty nine thirty dollars, whatever it was. Um, I think far more important than the actual price drop was the advertising that it was a thing you could do because i'm yeah. pretty sure a lot of you know joe public iphone users had no idea that you could take your phone back to apple and say the battery appears to be clapped out is there any chance of having a new battery right um, and so for basically for about 80 dollars, you get a what acts like a new phone yeah so i'm pretty sure that you know lots of people kind of were poo-pooing that and saying i'm sure that didn't have that big an effect and i'm sure Compared to the China slowdown, you know, the ability to take an old phone in and have the battery replaced, it, you know, didn't. It was, I'm sure it was contributory factor, but yes, it's a, probably a drop in the bucket uh, compared to China. But of course, yeah. um, 
we've got a story here actually leading on we're gonna have we're gonna do a segue <laughs> um we have here uh idc uh says samsung edges apple as a smartphone woes continue with worldwide shipments down 4.9 percent in holiday quarter um and over at tech pinions um smartphone markets tough year uh <clears throat> basically you know when apple said uh china is hurting us and we're going to have to revise our projections downwards everybody was crowing um unsurprisingly uh other you know big manufacturers have uh got hit by the same thing um yeah. including samsung who by the way appear to have suffered an eight percent drop in their uh sales um the only people who appear to be winning at the moment in smartphone is the are the chinese brands there's huawei and xiaomi and um another one oppo or vivo or something um, yeah, I mean all of them, uh, and this—I mean, this is—I was—I was talking about this on the MyMac show uh, yesterday that Gaz and I recorded. Was that this is kind of similar to, and this is mostly about for, for people who live in the United States that were that were alive, like in the '60s and '70s, when European cars and Asian cars started to become a thing in the United States. There were a lot of people that were like, you know, oh, I don't want to buy those. I'm buy America, you know, only buy America products. And, and it, it's like, okay, well, you know, China's sort of going through that right now where the, the Chinese government is, let's say, encouraging people to buy local brands because, you know, they have so much more control over the, the design of how it works. And, and, you know, and, and granted to kind of get their claws into people that that buy those phones so that they can be monitored and and for the chinese government this is something that they do on a regular basis indeed not to sound paranoid but no, yeah but, it, Who's it, that behind it, me? but the chinese brands yes because of the buy chinese kind of movement um and the slowdown and a lot of these you know xiaomi yeah, and huawei phones too. are are cheaper you know um and probably not much less quality uh if any less quality really than the samsung um they they are they have made some big gains um at the expense of apple and samsung really um, mostly i think mostly over korean brands more than apple yeah pro pro yes i mean samsung has probably been hit the hardest i mean and this comes out time and time again i mean the differentiation you know an iphone is an iphone and you can only get an iphone from apple um, right flagship android phones are you can get from anybody 10 a penny realistically you know every other manufacturer out there is churning out a flagship android phone yep so mm -hmm, there we are um and almost impossible to update uh yes on the but whole, that's a whole other story that's, that's a whole, a whole different story. story it is indeed um so apple um did suffer a, a rather embarrassing uh <laughs> facetime bug uh, particularly yeah. embarrassing as it was revealed on Data Privacy Day. Um, and that was apparently that if you made a group face FaceTime call, group FaceTime, by the way, people, not ordinary FaceTime, group FaceTime, that uh, recipients could hear uh, the people they were calling um, before yeah, they, they decided... Been, even if they hadn't been answered to. Yeah, b before they decided to accept or reject the call. Um, now. I think the big thing here is Apple, A, Apple apologised for it. B, Apple said that there will be a fix coming. Um, and in the meantime, they shut they down 
the FaceTime group uh, servers. So effectively, FaceTime group calling was turned off. Um, I, obviously, it's not a great bug, and it's certainly very bad PR for it to come out on Data Privacy Day. But, <laughs> you know, things happen. And again, you know, Apple, I think, fessed up but and said, oh, dear, there's something has gone wrong here. We will deal with it. Um, what else can you say? Um, well, it, it was the fact that it was uh, originally reported by a, uh, what, a 14-year-old and his mother mm. or a 9-year-old and his mother, something like that, who originally found it. And it, it apparently it took Apple nine days to acknowledge it. But what all the people that are complaining about that fail to understand is Apple gets bug reports all the time. And they spend an inordinate amount of time verifying that the bugs are real. They're not just going to come out and say, oh, well – this particular one is, you know, is real, this one isn't, and we'll just announce them all at the same time. But to, you know, not to pat them on the back too hard, this was a relatively easy one to replicate and shouldn't have taken more than a day or two, especially considering how serious it was. So there we go. Um, a fix is uh, in the works and uh, group FaceTime calling will be reinstated apparently sometime next week. But um, yeah, not uh, not a great look. Um, but that kind of leads us into the whole Facebook uh, shenanigans, <laughs> where yeah. the difference is uh, w whether or not you you know uh, want to castigate Apple for taking too long to deal with a bug. We are talking about some people who were uh, you know were doing some pretty shady shenanigans. Um, and for anybody who's been you know on a month long furlough to somewhere with no internet whatsoever. Um, lucky you. But um, <clears throat> uh, Facebook apparently was paying users to uh, use um, a sort of market research app, quote unquote. Um, but this app basically gave Facebook access to everything you did. All the contents of your phone, all of your, um, you know, all your contacts, uh, all your apps, everything. Um, and they were paying uh, teenagers, mostly, apparently, $20 yeah, and a I month. Yeah, I wonder if those teenagers had, like, parental consent before all of this, but Well, allegedly, you know, if they were under 18, they had to have parental consent. But um, apparently... Allegedly. Allegedly. But apparently, uh, Facebook's name was highly obfuscated through a whole load of um, shell companies and fronts and whatnot. And if you actually went to sign up for it, it wasn't until the very, very last part that Facebook even got mentioned. Um, so, uh, this got out, and... Um, According to Mac Rumors, Facebook uh, decided they said they were going to shut down this controversial iOS market research app. Um, however, it turns out that they were distributing it through their enterprise uh, certificate, yep. which is, of course, expressly forbidden. Verboten. Verboten. And uh, Apple, basically, uh, in <laughs> retaliation, pulled their enterprise certificate, uh, which... Uh, reportedly, uh, chaos erupted inside Facebook as employees found themselves unable to open the company's apps on their phones, uh, according to Business Insider. Um, now, uh, apparently, this didn't this didn't last long, a day or something. Um, and Facebook were frantically, you know, uh, approaching Apple to get their enterprise certificates restored. 
which they did, but I think probably very much on the, uh, you know, on the uh, terms that you shall pull, said market yeah, research so app, and never do such a thing again, or we shall revoke <laughs> your... darken our doorstep again. And we shall pull your enterprise certificate uh, full time. Um, what a lot of hoo-ha that all created, of course. It really did. Um, and the same thing happened to Google. And then it turns out... Well, yes. Actually, you know what? I have to rephrase that. I think once Google saw what happened with Facebook, they kind of put their hand up and go, oops, <laughs> oh, sorry, we were doing that too. So sorry. We're going to stop doing that now. Yeah, and uh, Apple did the same to them. They pulled their yep. enterprise certificate um, for... Uh, for a day. For a day, I think. Um, which, of course, did the same thing to Google and blocked all their internal uh, apps. And, and for anybody who's not clear on how this works... Um, all the apps that uh, run on iOS have to be uh, signed with a certificate and um, right. verified, and it's th that's why they only sell them through the iOS App Store. Correct, but uh, normally, you, yes, if you are a large enterprise such as Facebook or Google or IBM or probably Ford or or somebody like that, if you have um, specialist applications which are designed for your workforce to use for whatever purposes you can get an enterprise certificate which allows you right. to um sideload basically self-verify and then sideload applications uh without bothering to go through the app store because obviously they're internal apps and they're not for use by the general public or at least that's the idea um Facebook, of course, were using this enterprise certificate to uh, ship this market research app, uh, which is strictly forbidden. Um, and then, yes, as you say, Google did much the same. Um, well, uh, there was a huge hoo-ha about it, Guy, as, as you say. Um, oh, yeah. I, I think the Atlantic, strangely enough, even basically t sort of took Facebook's side and was saying it's, you know, Apple have too much power because they have the power yeah. to pull people's certificates. It's like, you know, I, I actually tweeted this and basically was was kind of like, really, you know, with everything that Facebook has done in regards to you know destroying users privacy and selling their data and everything else. How can you possibly take Facebook's side in something like this? And and the fact that that these apps were were mostly geared toward the even more collection of data than uh, what is allowed through the you know the regular Facebook app in iOS. It's it's just like you know, dude. Apple, if Apple had an eighty five percent share like Android does or Android does, then okay, you might have something to say along those lines. But Apple is looking at ten to fifteen percent of the total worldwide market as far as smartphones and, and smart devices and all the rest of that go. So if if they hold app developers and if they hold companies that that use their products in in such a way with like enterprise licensing uh, to a higher standard, that kind of should be applauded in my opinion. And it's something that at least with uh, Google's Pixel phones, I can see that I can t completely see them doing in the future. Mm, yeah, it's um, you know I I just couldn't grasp the Atlantic's take. It was kind of. Apple have too much power because they can pull people from their store. Well, Apple don't, on the whole, do a lot of that. And when they do, no, they're, usually, they don't. they're usually right. 
Not always. There have been times when they've pulled things and then had to recant and say, oops, sorry. Um, but in this case, you know, both Google and Facebook blatantly overstepped the mark. Um, they did something which was strictly forbidden, uh, distributing apps to, you know, the general public uh, using an enterprise certificate. And Apple basically, as far as I could see, put a shot across their bows, you know. that You shall not pass. So there we are. Um, what I had something following on from that. Oh, yes. Um, Forbes, who uh, on the whole tend to have a fairly negative view of Apple, uh, published a couple of pieces. One is uh, Tim Cook is right. Why differentiating Apple from the other tech giants is a smart move. Um, and what Tim Cook knows that Facebook doesn't, uh, both on Forbes by different authors. Um, and basically, they are saying that Apple and Tim Cook are right to uh, effectively sell privacy almost as part of their product. Um, and what does Tim Cook know that Facebook doesn't? Um, basically, if you treat your users like uh, you, they won't Humans. stay, they won't stay your uh, users all that long. Um, both of those were, well, you know, a moderate read. Yeah. Uh, m- m- I picked them up more because it's very unusual for Forbes to be so pro-Apple. Well, something that Zuckerberg needs to remember is social media networks can easily change the course or change course almost overnight. Uh, And for for proof of that, does anyone remember MySpace? Does anyone remember AOL or CompuServe or so many of these other services that were, you know, in their day, the equivalent? of Facebook and they felt, you know, I mean, hell AOL bought time Warner at one point. So (laughs) the fact that you have the world's most popular social media network doesn't mean that it's going to stay that way forever. So you need to think about what it is you're doing before you start just crapping all over your, your customers. And in this case, customers being users, because when you look at Facebook and Google, the people that use their services, Aren't their customers? They're the product. Oh yes. But again, that's that's a whole nother. Yeah, that's that's a whole, a whole nother thing. <laughs> <laughs> Surveillance, capitalism, and uh, data mining is a whole different issue. But yeah, yes. we we could go we could go on a, a whole week's uh, rabbit hole about that. I'm pretty sure. Um, yep. So uh, there we go. I'll tell you what, guy. I could do with a cup of tea as you hmm. might tell from my slightly croaky voice. Um, so I think we should go over to John Nemo in the hardware store whilst you and I get a fresh beverage. Sounds like sound? a winner. Very good. I like it. Take it away, John. Two products for the iPad and one for the Mac today here on Nemo's hardware store. There are two iPad cases. First one comes from a company called Supcase. S-U-P-C-A-S-E, subcase.com. They have similar cases for all the different iPads and iPhones. The one I have is the iPad Pro 10.5 2017 Unicorn Beetle, B-E-E-T-L-E, rugged case with screen protector, $30 in the U.S. It's a full-body case. It's not waterproof. The home button and the camera are exposed. Everything else is very well protected, and it does have a kickstand. It's a very slimline, full-body case and exceptional value at $30, especially considering the fact that the touchscreen is very responsive, and it's a slimline case. It doesn't take up much bulk, and it's available in 
several colors, and I think you will like it a lot if you're looking for full body style protection for, in this case, the 10.5 2017 iPad Pro. We're very pleased with it here at Nemo's Hardware Store. And read some of the reviews and see some comments and see the different colors it comes in. And you might want to consider this for your iPad or iPhone because, once again, they make it for all kinds of different products. I had never heard of Supcase until just this week, and they get a couple of thumbs up from the people at the Nemo's Hardware Store. Donnie recommended to me another case for the iPad 10.5 called the Prodigy X, P-R-O-D-I-G-Y, Prodigy X, iPad Pro 10.5 case. This is twice as much, $60 in the U.S., from Zugu Case, Z-U-G-U-C-A-S-E, ZuguCase.com. I had never heard of SUP or Zugu before this week. Zugu is perhaps the more well-known, even though not well-known by me. It uses an ingenious magnetized system to keep the kickstand in place. Picture on their website, it shows how the first gen of the Apple Pencil can tuck in. I don't use the pencil, so that's not important to me. Very versatile as far as standing in the horizontal landscape mode. Subcase is not quite as versatile and it's not magnetized, so you decide which one you want. The Zugu case does not come with a front panel, so you have to provide your own glass clear protective front piece, whereas the subcase for $30 does include the capacitive touch front segment. The ports are more exposed on the Zugu. They're just a different design, but they both accomplish the same thing. Zugu is more of a folio case, whereas the subcase is front and center with the clear protection on it. When I was listening to Bob Levitas talk to Simon recently, they started talking about Photoshop and Adobe, and everybody seems to be kind of grumpy about Adobe. Well, I'm going to try to reverse the tide a little bit, because I've been using and teaching and working with professionally and otherwise Adobe Photoshop Elements since version 1. It's now in version 19, actually 2019 the latest version of Elements, on sale at the moment in the U.S. for $70, normally $100. You can buy it in a bundle with Premiere, but let's just talk about photo editing because that's what Bob was talking about. At Adobe.com, they have a good description with lots of examples of how it works and comparisons of the different legacy and current updated versions of Photoshop Elements. But Elements 19 has great guided edits in addition to all the exceptional features that the Photoshop Elements family has had for many years. So don't just toss Adobe and Elements under the bus. You buy it and you own it. You don't lease it. You don't rent it. There's no subscription fee. You buy it and it will run on your computer for close to forever. There are people in my workshop who are still using Elements version 6 with some obvious lack of features. But it's an incredibly versatile, valuable, and full-featured product at a terrific cost from Adobe Plus, for whatever the sticker price is, you get two licenses. So it can be on a Mac and a PC, two Macs, two PCs, whatever you want. You cut that price in half, and you've got a very good deal. The best photo management and photo editing company on the planet. Back next week. And thank you, as always, John, for that hardware store. And, of course, all the links will be in the show notes. Ah, right. Giveaways and offers. Don't forget. Um, 
One lucky listener can win a free uh, free entry to Dr. Mac's Working Smarter for Mac Users video course, which retails for $500. Um, and he's also gifted us a copy of his book, Working Smarter for Mac Users, which I believe retails for $25. So if you would like a chance to win that, email essentialapple at sudomail, that's S-U-D-O, mail.com. Uh, with the subject Dr. Mac, and you will go into the draw, and we will draw that in a couple of weeks' time. Um, also, Ghostery gifted us 10 Ghostery swag bags. Uh, again, uh, email essentialapple at sudomail.com. Uh, with this one, you have to put in your postal address and your T-shirt size, because as Nick points out, we cannot email you a shirt. Uh, so again, uh, email in for that one and we'll draw the names out of the hat in a couple of weeks time. And, uh, listeners of the show can get an extra $10 discount off purchases of Luminar or Aurora HD 2019 with the coupon code EssentialApple at the checkout. Well, um, we've pretty much done all of the Apple stories apart from this little one here from Shortlist, uh, Guy, Apple have painted patented a revolutionary <laughs> new type of glass keyboard, quote unquote. Um, but it only works for Cinderella. <laughs> uh, as they say, what they say, a glass keyboard feels like a logistical nightmare, but Apple thinks it might have found a solution. Um, we regularly hear interesting rumors or updates from the company, often with iPhones in mind, but the latest could be just what you need if you're a MacBook user. It's a responsive glass keyboard which, as far as we can tell, could transform into a touchscreen in a manner we haven't really seen elsewhere. I'm not quite sure about that. I mean... Well, you know, the, the problem... Well, number one, for this is essentially very, very similar to uh, the, the F bar, the F key bar, in yeah, Mac yeah. Pros that adjusts itself depending on which application that you happen to be in. And in theory, he says with air quotes, um, this would do the same thing. So if you're in Final Cut Pro or Photoshop or, or one of the other applications, instead of having you know your, your typical QWERTY keyboard, you would see a bunch of keys that were shortcuts to some of the various things that you might want to do in those applications, which... On the surface of it, sounds like wow, that would be great. Except you, you, you now lose that kind of of haptic. Uh, yeah, well, you've got no, you've got no tactile feedback, have you? Yeah, you've got you've got no feedback. And even if they put like a little bump when you hit a key, unless you have memorized exactly where every single key is, because I kind of rely on haptic feedback and also kind of glancing down to see where my hands are in relationship to the keys. You know, if you're a touch typist, I think this would be a complete nightmare. So, you know, it's, it's, I think it's one of those ideas that sounds good, but isn't necessarily something that, that, you know, the, the average, you know, Joe blogs on the street would want to use. Mm. It, it, as, it, as they say, um, they've got a link to the full patent application. Uh, be warned, it's 45 pages long and has a lot yeah, of diagrams, <laughs> which take a while to figure out. Um, 
When we say we, we mean digital trends who have given a pretty good guide to what looks to be a transformable keyboard with a glass layer sitting above another responsive layer. Um, the biggest problem is that glass typically doesn't form, offer a form of feedback to alert us that a key has been pressed or even where they rest on the keyboard layout. Um, and then it's, yeah, that's, a, that's, that's an issue. Yeah, exactly. Um, and really, um, I'm not. There must be something somewhere in that 45 pages because other. I mean, otherwise, saying well, we could put a, um, you know, an iPad type keyboard on a on a MacBook is not really a patent patentable thing, is it? It's just. Um, yeah. So this is the only thing. Patent drawings show the first glass layer offers the ability to become altered, potentially allowing the bottom half of the case to house a touchscreen, which could then become tactile when the user has a use for the keyboard. So I don't know if they're talking about something which can actually physically raise sort of bumps. Um, I don't know. I'm sorry. That's, that sounds like Star Trek to me. Yeah. Anyway, as with yeah. other patents... This might never come to fruition as part of an actual device. Um, there we go. But it feels positive that Apple considers themselves capable of making this technology work. What I would actually like to see a keyboard do, uh, if you're talking about feedback, feedback for the blind, or sorry, the visually impaired, however you, you know, whatever the current politically correct term is, is as each key is pressed, you hear something like saying, you know, Q, A, W. U, Y, R, you know, whatever, whatever the key is that you're pressed. So as you're going through it, you, you kind of have a, a, a hint beyond just having it read back a word to you, whatever, at the end of, of what's going on. And maybe that it actually does that. I've never, I've never turned it on for my keyboard. No, I, I'm pretty sure there's a lot of things in, uh, in the, um, Assess accessibility, accessibility uh, features. Yeah, I was having trouble saying that. Whether, 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 whether that's whether that's one of them or not, I I couldn't say. Um, so there we go. I mean, there's just a hint in there that they're talking about something that maybe can self kind of shape. How could that? How could it do that? Though? It certainly wouldn't be glass. Well, I think that's probably why they've put the word glass in quotes because um, it wouldn't actually be glass. I guess you'd be talking about some kind of plastic which could maybe thicken or or, or what, you know, something under, in the same way as an LCD can, you know. Um, change colour. Change colour depending on what currents you put in it. I, I suppose if you had a kind of plastic membrane which could thicken under some yeah. minor current, maybe you could produce a very yeah. delicate... They're going to call it this. It's it's going to be the Soylent Green Keyboard because it's made of people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Soylent Green is made of people. Made of people. Uh, As so, they toss, uh, what's what's his name? Um, yeah, uh, uh, I'm losing my mind. What was the name of the guy that was in that movie? He was also in Planet of the Apes. Charlton Heston. Yeah, Charlton, Charlton Heston and um, Edward G. Robinson, who played. Oh, the was book. he? He plays the book. Okay. He's the detectives. Okay. Um, you know, sort of, well, they're called, the, he's called Book, but he's kind of like his assistant and goes to the library and looks things up and all that sort of thing. Uh, and he's How the did one we who, get on this? I don't know. Oh, it was my fault. I think it was actually my fault. And I, I apologize to everyone <laughs> listening to this show. I don't know why we're talking about Soylent Green, Green. because sometimes that's just how my mind works. <laughs> okay. Or doesn't. Or not. Yes. Um. Well. The other stories I've got are pretty much all in the security sphere, Guy. Go um, for it. 
Okay, well, if we thought collection number one um, with, what was it, three quarters of a billion unique records was big, um, collections two to five have been unearthed with 2.2 billion unique records now exposed online, apparently, just to cheer us all up. All right. Oh, hooray. Hooray. Yes, right. Probably every account you've ever had uh, at some point, uh, either the name or the password or both appears to have been exposed somewhere. Probably or not. Who knows? How would you, you know, how would you check such a thing? Um, well, unless you unless you go there and, and like put it. And, and here's the thing, you know, you read about these and, and they're like, well, if you come here, you can check your your account names and passwords against ours. And it's like, OK, well, how do I know you're not just collecting my More. account name and passwords as I'm <laughs> typing them in to see if you have my account names and passwords. Mm. Uh, the scale of this. Not that I'm paranoid. Yeah, uh, this this was from IT Pro. It says the scale of this leak has expanded dramatically after researchers with German f- firm Hayes Security uncovered folders named collections two through to five with swathes of personal data harvested from historic data breaches. Um, And there we go. You can read about that on IT Pro if you want to depress yourself. Um, (laughs) Pretty much. Yes, what can we say? Use, you know, use uh, unique passwords. Use hard passwords. Uh, Yeah, and a VPN. Yeah, um, use use a password manager. Um, if you don't use a password manager, at least on Mac, you know, let the uh, keychain do your passwords for you. That's pretty good. That will generate uh, secure passwords but, for but you. But yeah, assume, assuming that your iCloud password doesn't get compromised. Uh, that is true, yeah. Or stop working. <laughs> or stop working. <laughs> In a random fashion. Um, yeah, but there we go. Use a password manager, uh, you know, use a, use, protect yourselves. Get your tinfoil hats yeah. on. That's right. Online condoms. That's what we're talking about. That here. is indeed. Yes. Safe, safe computing. See, there's, there's the name of a show for you. Mm. <laughs> there we go. Um, and sort of following on for that in a, uh, in a nasty manner, the internet, a net of things or the vulnerability of everything. Uh, Japan is going to hack its own citizens to find out. Uh, this was on CNN. Um, huh. Because we all know about the uh, IOT and its appalling uh, security history. Um, or lack of. Or lack thereof. Um, you know, uh, as Alistair in the Slack room said, uh, the S in IOT stands for security. Um, <laughs> I don't think it does. <laughs> well, I think that's the whole point. There is no S in IOT. There we go. Um Oh, there he is, but it doesn't stand for security. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I, uh, I have been known to refer to it as the uh, IOTT, Internet of Troublesome Things, uh, for those who know Thomas the Tank Engine and the Troublesome Trucks. Um, but I might be revising that to IOST. Um, there we go. Uh, here we go. Apparently, children in a middle school gym in Indonesia, a man getting for ready, ready for bed in a Moscow apartment, an Australian family coming and going from their garage, and a woman feeding her cat in Japan. All of these were live on the internet on Friday to anyone who knew the right address, uh, through cameras with little or no security, whose owners probably don't realise they're broadcasting every second online. Um, well, we, we all know that's true. Uh, so, apparently, beginning on February the 20th, Japanese officials will start probing 200 million IP addresses linked to the country 
sniffing out devices with poor or little security. Um, apparently last year they passed a law to enable this mass hack as a security preparation ahead of Tokyo 2020 Olympics. Um, well, um, quite interesting this. Well, yeah, it, it's not a surprise. Um, that you could, I don't think you would get away with that in the UK or the US, but Japan being mostly a, a homogenous society as as far as you know their population goes and it's it's a completely different kind of mindset as well you you could do something like this and a lot of people would just kind of nod their head and say yeah okay yeah let's 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 check our security mm. and that's not necessarily say that um that i wouldn't mind seeing something like that happen with the internet of things here in the united states i mean as it says here uh as well as testing for servers with no security the japanese team will test 100 common username and password combinations such as admin admin uh, or one two three four um oh is that those, those aren't good passwords mm, apparently not um, oh, okay. Michael Gaisley, director of the Hong Kong-based film uh, security firm Network Box, said while the intentions of the testing were good, it could potentially backfire on users, creating an easy attack vector. Well, I don't see that the attack vector would be any easier after the government of saying they're going to do it than by anybody else, surely. Um, the public at large is going to have to be extra vigilant. How easy would it be to send someone slash everyone a phishing email claiming to come from the government saying your IoT devices have failed our testing? Please click this link to get updated, which would result in a huge number of successful hacks. Um, not sure about that. I, I think actually in many ways, I think it's a very good thing because what they're doing is saying we're going to ping all these IP addresses and see if they're properly secured. Um, and if they aren't, let people know. Uh, well, hopefully. Well, well, we'd hope so. Or maybe it's just a huge, you know, a massive, um, you know, education thing. I mean, at least it will make people aware that it's um, that it's a thing, an issue, an issue. Yeah. I mean, IoT, lovely is, um, you know, lovely as the whole idea is. It's just, it's just a security nightmare. Um, and it's getting bigger and bigger. You've yeah. got. Companies coming up like Ring, which you know puts a camera at your front door, mm. and if you know, it, and most of these most of these companies are are basically saying, oh, it's so easy to set up. You hardly have to do anything. Well, the problem is, is when you hardly do anything, you're pretty much leaving yourself open and vulnerable. Yeah. Um, here we go. As I say here, at CNN, uh, everything from light bulbs to bird feeders increasingly has wireless connectivity. Many devices can be accessed from anywhere over the internet because if you can't turn on your lights five minutes before you get home, are you actually living in the future? Um, however, many of the devices have little to no security, especially at the low end of the price range, um, as we know. Um, well, I mean, this, this article mostly points out things that we've all heard a million times, I suppose. Um, you know, botnets internet of things you being the you know distributed denial of service attacks etc uh, etc et um i'm not quite sure how or you know what the Jap japanese government are going to get out of doing it um maybe they're just attempting to find insecure devices and shut them down so that they can't be used to attack the uh, olympics 2020 um but, but before that happens there'll be a whole new bunch of devices yeah indeed um I suspect that maybe the just thing is just a, a huge uh, consciousness raising event <coughs> for people in Japan. Um, there we go. Uh, as it says, uh, Internet of Things or vulnerability of everything. There we go. 
Uh, so that that was that. Um, and here, following on from that guy, uh, cheap Internet of Things gadgets betray you even after you've just tossed them into the trash. Uh, this was <laughs> on TechCrunch, and man, this this is quite uh, scary. If you uh, this is quite scary. Um, basically, as it says, uh, you may think. The, the worst you'll risk buying a bargain bin smart bulb or security camera is a bit of extra trouble setting it up or a lack of settings. But it's not while they're plugged in that these slapdash gadgets are a security risk. Even from the garbage can, they can compromise your network. Um, what it says here is, uh, in the case of low-cost smart bulbs investigated by limited results via Hacker Day, um, the issue isn't what they do while they're connected, but what they keep on board in their tiny brains. Um, Afterwards. Mm. All the bulbs they tested proved to have no real security at all, protecting the information kept on chips inside. After exposing the printed circuit boards, they attached a few leads, and in a moment, each device would spit out its data ready to take commands. The data was, without exception, totally unencrypted, including the wireless password to the network from to which it had been connected. Yep. Uh, one device pr exposed the pri private RSA key used to create secure connections. Um, 90% of IoT devices are developed without security. It is a disaster. Um, but, I mean, this is this is terrible. This is even worse. It's basically saying that if you go and get hold of a load of discarded smart light bulbs or whatever, you can get people's passwords, SSIDs, um, maps of their internal networks, IP addresses. Um, all of it. All of it. It's and and what and what we don't really also know is whether or not while it's plugged into your network, who else it is transmitting that information to. Mm. And again, not that I'm paranoid. So, uh, as it says, uh, in addition to all of them having essentially no security, one had a conductive metal shell insulated from the printed circuit board by only a loose piece of adhesive paper. This is an electrical fire or a short waiting to happen. Um, well, you know, cheap shoddy electronics are cheap shoddy electronics. Um, if you wish to limit your risk, a simple step you can take. Here is the here is the social message, people. Uh, here is the public service announcement. Uh, have your smart home devices and such isolated on a subnet or guest network. Uh, make sure that all the devices and, of course, the router are password protected and take common sense measures like changing your password regularly. There we go. Yeah, but then you have to go to each device. Because, I mean, the whole thing is predicated on you've got, for whatever reason, a smart light bulb. So you don't actually have to have like a, a smart plug for it or anything like that. It's just the bulb itself is smart. So after X amount of time, that bulb burns out. And so you replace it with another one. Well, at the moment that you replace it with another one, according to this article, you should then change your password. Well, then you have to go around to each one of those devices and change their passwords because it's not adaptive enough to be able to do it on its own. Well, uh, I, I guess if, uh, if nothing else, if you learn nothing else from this, it's uh, when this you... is cheap crap. Yes, it's cheap crap. But when you, uh, you know, when you dispose of your smart uh, light bulbs or whatever, best you disassemble them and smash them into little tiny pieces. That is not a bad idea. <clears throat> smash their bloody circuit boards to little tiny pieces. There we go. Yes, or as uh, my wife has just shouted at me, shred them. Um, well, I'm an inter, you know, I'm an Internet of Things smart objects refusenik, and uh, I think me too. 
I think my paranoia about such things is becoming, you know, proved ever more um, sensible. Um, yeah. Well, and even even Apple's devices, I can't remember what their protocol is off the top of my head. Um, I wouldn't use that either because honestly, if I want to turn on a light bulb, I can get up off the damn couch and flip the switch. If yeah. I want to, you know, do this or do that or whatever it is that the Internet of Things allows me to do. I'll just walk over there and do it. I'm I'm not saving any time, especially considering that you have to configure these. If you're smart, you have to configure these devices ahead of time before they can do anything. So all that time that you spent getting it to do something, you could have already done it. There's, I have to say there's not many of the, you know, so-called Internet of Things uh, devices that appeal to me in, in any way, shape or form. Uh, sure, you can do things like you can turn your lights on. Well, you can do that with a motion sensor. You can, you know, open your garage door. Well, you can buy a garage door opener with a bloody key fob that will open your door for you. Um, yeah. I kind of maybe get the the sort of hive slash nest thermostat thing turn the heating up um you know that sort of thing but really is it is it really worth all that risk um i i i'm not convinced by it all at the moment and uh i think oh i think there's going to be more to this as time goes on you know eventually there's going to be you know someone is going to suddenly find out that using these kinds of devices is causing XYZ, whatever that, whatever that is. And it's going to be based on the technology as it exists today. And then there'll be a change in that technology to take out a lot of these vulnerabilities at which point, okay, we can revisit the subject, mm. but the way it stands right now, the fact that, that these are all set up to be as easy as possible. I mean, basically you plug and play, which in theory sounds good, but from a security standpoint, is terrible. Yeah, and the the trouble is, a lot of them are not even configured so that you can, uh, yeah, do anything. Uh, you know, they've they've got hardwired passwords and very limited options. Uh, it it's just appalling, really. Um, and that I don't know. Is it just that people really don't care that much? Is it the Facebook phenomenon again? That uh, yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's it in a nutshell is, you know, people, people want, you know, ooh, ah, kind of technology and they want it to be super simple. They want it to be like the remote control for their TV set, which, you know, honestly, isn't always all that great either, but yeah, they want it simple. They want it cheap. And if it causes some kind of problem down the line, then they shrug their shoulders and say, oh, oh well, somebody should have warned me. It's like, well, you know, people were kind of warning you long before XYZ happened. Yep, and I'm going to put in link to my favourite story about such things, The Nightmare on Connected Home Street um, from Wired.com, uh, which is several years old now, um, but begins with the line, I wake up at four to some old-time dubstep spewing from the pillows. The lights are flashing, the alarm clock is blasting Skrillex or Dead Mouse or something. I don't know. I've never listened to dubstep. The fact the entire genre is on my band list. My house has a virus again. Technically, it's malware, but there's no patches yet. So there we go. Right. And uh, you can read that for a sort of dark, uh, if somewhat humorous take on what happens when the Internet of Things goes horribly wrong. Yep. <laughs> well, uh, we've pretty much done it all now, I think. Uh, oh, oh cool. 
Criminals are tapping into the phone network backbone to empty bank accounts, apparently, according to Motherboard. Um, just to cheer us all up some more. Um, Motherboard has identified a specific UK bank fallen victim to so-called SS7 attacks. Sources say the issue is wider than reported. Um, we won't go into it here, I don't think. Um, but apparently this is not an isolated case, and, uh... UK Finance and Trade Association told Motherboard the protection of customer accounts is an absolute priority for this industry. We are a report, aware of reports of incidents and understand that immediate steps were taken by the relevant telecommunication bodies to resolve the issue. Um, it's quite a long article, so I don't think we'll bother to get into it, but there you go. Apparently criminals are uh, attacking the phone network itself at its very heart in order to get into banks. That's cheerful, isn't it? Not a good thing. No, not a good thing at all. Right, uh, well, I, I think we'll wrap it up now, guys. So here's the part where you get to do uh, what you always like to do, and that's to shill all of your various products. Oh, you got a half hour? Um, <laughs> I do I do the MyMac.com podcast with uh, Gaz over there in the UK. And actually, next month, we'll, we'll make nine years that he and I have been doing the MyMac.com podcast. And later this year, we will hit show 500. So stay tuned for that. We'll, we'll come up with some kind of contest or something to give some stuff away. Uh, I also do, uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, the Mac to the Future live cast on Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, which I think is uh, 1 o'clock in the morning over there in the UK. So I'm sure everybody wants to stay up until 1 o'clock in the morning on Thursday to watch me do a live cast because yeah, that's a thing. I also do guys daily drive, which isn't done every day. As a matter of fact, I haven't done it lately, <laughs> lately in a while. Cause the weather here has been so horrible. I record myself in my car and do all kinds of things. Uh, you can reach me if you'd like to send me an email saying, guy, why the hell are you doing these things? That would be sent to Guy, G-U-Y, at MyMac.com. I have two different Twitter accounts. I have MacParrot, which I've had for a very, very long time. And my new one, VertShark, uh, which is associated with the website I've created that has all of my stuff in it. Yes. VertShark.com. Uh, <laughs> uh, I also have, I have a Skype telephone number, area code 703-436-9501, where you can leave a comment for any of those things, and it will be played on the particular show in which you are interested in. And uh, I think that's about it. Have I forgotten anything? Uh, I don't know. I don't think so. I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, that'll, that'll work then. So... Actually, the best place to find all my stuff is uh, VertShark. Right, so that's VertShark.com. Yep. Okay, all right. Um, I am on the Twitter as at Serenak, and that's S-E-R-E-N-A-K. Uh, the show is at Essential Apple. All of our stuff is over at EssentialApple.com. Uh, you can find us all sorts of places, including SoundCloud, uh, YouTube, and Spotify. Uh, if you want to join in the chatter in the Slack room, simply follow the link in the intro to the show notes. And uh, thank you, everybody who listens. Uh, I think that's probably about it. So, uh, goodbye, everybody. Bye. 
You've been listening to the Essential Apple Podcast. And I'd like to say if you enjoy the show and would like to support us, feel free to go over to the website essentialapple.com and you will find links to both Patreon and the Pinecast Tips Jar where you can make a donation towards the costs of the show. Uh, Or even if you're really keen, you could set up a recurring payment. And thank you very, very much to all the people who already do support us. We really do appreciate you very much indeed. This show is, of course, part of the My Mac Podcasting Network, where you can find a variety of other shows like the My Mac Podcast with Guy and Gaz, the G-Men, Tech Fan with Tim and David, the Nintendo Club Podcast, the Geekiest Show Ever, the Three Geeky Ladies, uh, Bart Shots and his wonderful Let's Talk Apple, and possibly some more that I forgot. So why not go over to mymac.com, take a look at the available podcast, and take a listen. Amazon, Google, Apple, Android, iOS, Alexa, Siri, technology, sci-fi, video games, tablets, computers, flash drives, toys, weather, and general silliness. Geekiest show ever, every week on the MyMac Podcasting Network. Oh, and we've got the Proton Drive, which uh, Dougie dug up, which is like, I don't know how he came across it, but if you click that, it takes you to like a dummy site for Proton. A what? It's like a dummy site, Proton Drive. If you scroll down to the, just a... Um... Yeah, no, I'm, I'm hitting it now. Secure digital storage for your online files and data end-to-end encrypted and based in Switzerland. Right, and that's from... Oh. But if you click on nothing, nothing does anything, none of the links do anything. It's a dummy. Really? Yeah, it's a it's a dummy. I don't know. Uh, it's a complete. It's yeah. From Proton, the only thing which could, is that's a real company. Yeah, oh yeah. Proton, Proton Mail, and Proton VPN. Yes, very much so. I pay to use their services. Um, but this isn't working. No, that is so weird. Well, Andy Yen told me um, that in the longer term, you know, they started with mail and then they added a VPN and they want to add, you know, like Proton Calendar and Proton uh, Drive. Oh, so like their own online suite of apps. Yeah, they basically want to copy everything that Google does and sell it to you as like Google but secure and encrypted. Um, And I know they're talking about doing a calendar, but Dougie somehow has turned up this completely fake site, which is real. It's from Proton. And it's part of their service. Yeah. But, but none it, of the links go anywhere. That's it weird. Go anywhere. Well, because they haven't announced any such service. They've they've not, you know, there is no such thing as yet, which is interesting. And yet it's just out there. I don't know if he just typed in Proton Drive or something and it t- turned up. But there we go. That's that's why that's in uh, sort of just a snippet. Um, okay. That's weird. Yeah. Essential Apple Podcast. Goodbye and thank you for listening.